Excellencies, Lords, Ladies and Gentlemen, welcome to the third CMEX four-part debate series at the Conservative Party Conference 2023. We are delighted to be here to talk about trade between the UK and the GCC and the Free Trade Agreement. We have a star-studded lineup and some very honoured guests amongst the audience. I'm going to hand over to our moderator and chairman, Noor Ali from Bloomberg News. Noor, over to you. Thank you so much for that. And good evening, everyone. I hope you've had your lunches because this is going to be a very nice session full of heated debates by our distinguished panelists. Uh, let me start by introducing myself. I'm Noor Ali. I'm a macro strategist and editor at Bloomberg News. I was born in Saudi Arabia, raised in the UAE, and now I live in the UK. So I hit all factors here with my distinguished panelists. Uh, of course, today we're going to be exploring the, uh, the future of trade between the UK and the GCC, with the hottest topic obviously being uh, the free trade agreement uh, and a lot of the challenges and perhaps uh, opportunities that are tied to uh, you know, such a great and heated debate now that we'll discuss. Of course, we'll also discuss the timeline, what's hindering it, what are the benefits, uh, and we'll also talk about the GCC, uh, cooperation between the countries, and I'm, I would welcome you all uh, to come in through and, and add some comments from yourselves. I'd like to introduce my panelists here, Lord Dominic Johnson, who's the Minister of Trade uh, for, the, uh, for the Minister of State for the Department of Trade and Business. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. We also have His Royal Highness Prince Khalid bin Bandar, who's the ambassador of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia to the UK, and His Excellency Mansour Abu Hol, who's the ambassador of the UAE to the UK. And of course, our, um, our guests are also including some distinguished members who are also with us today in the audience, including uh, the, the Kuwaiti ambassador to the UK uh, and the Bahraini as well. Uh, so thank you all for joining us uh, today. So first, I'd like to invite my panelists, starting by uh, Lord Johnson, to give us a little bit of an introduction here uh, on what he plans to discuss in this session. Well, thank you very much. And thank you for the introduction. I, I, I have had my lunch. I haven't had my sleep, though. I'm glad to see that. So maybe they can use my, my speech as an opportunity to catch up yeah. uh, on their snoozes if they haven't had one so far. I'm, I'm very, very pleased to be here because I'm a, I'm a passionate Gulf supporter. And uh, my heart is, is buried deep in, in that region. And when I'm asked, what are my priorities? And, and I don't want to sound facetious or glib when I say this, because clearly there are a lot of priorities as an investment minister. But I do say it's the Gulf, the Gulf, the Gulf. And the reason is that the opportunities in terms of the partnership between the UK and all the Gulf countries is just so significant. And each country is very different in the sort of relationship that we're trying to build with, with the UK. We also have these deep historical links, which... Uh, if I look across the spectrum of the world, I feel a uniquely positive in the sense that uh, our historical links with other parts of the world, which I actually see as hugely positive and beneficial too, are often much more constrained in complexities and sensitivities. And I think in the Gulf, we just have such a positive historical relationship. It's been such a mutually beneficial, uh, certainly recent history. And uh, I'm very, very proud to be on this panel um, with Charlotte, of course, at the end, but with um, Halid and Mansour and to have my friends uh, from... Um, uh, Kuwait and Bahrain as well in the audience. It's, it's just really little testament and to Oman. the sort of geopolitical focus. And, and Oman. And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry um, as well. Uh, is a real testament to the, to the collaboration that we see them working together uh, in terms of the relationship with the UK and the importance the UK places on our relationship with them. 
And uh, if I can pass on the mic to our esteemed guest from Saudi Arabia, do you mind giving us a bit of an introduction? Uh, absolutely. Thank you very much um, for the uh, lovely introduction, Charlotte. Thank you for having us. Uh, it's just as much an honor for me to be on this panel <coughs> with <coughs> my wonderful colleagues. I will echo what um, Lord Johnson said. I repeat to everyone, it's the Gulf, the Gulf, the Gulf as well. Uh, luckily, <coughs> the Gulf does have a great relationship with the United Kingdom. It's a long relationship with the United Kingdom. It's a positive relationship with the United Kingdom. And since I've been here in the last four years, I've only seen that relationship grow, increase and flourish. And the more uh, links we can create between um, all our nations, the better we all will be. The more um, investment, trade ties, economic flows we have that go back and forth, the more we work together naturally and for, for obvious reasons. So um, trade is incredibly important. We have complementary economies. And um, you know, we look forward to, to um, um, uh, strengthening the ties with the free trade agreement. Uh, which I'm sure we're very close to signing. Um, we're all in a rush and determined to get it done because I think the, the, the scope for both the United Kingdom and the GCC to grow as a result of a free trade agreement is huge. Um, one of the fastest growing regions in the world is the GCC and I think unlike many other regions with fast growing economies, we have opened our economy, not just to the UK but to all countries around the world, to participate, to grow with us, and to benefit alongside us. And I think that's the importance of the relationship. Thank you for that. And Your Excellency, Sheikh Mansour, if you could be so kind to give us your introduction. Noor, it's a great privilege to be here and a guest of uh, CMEX. Uh, I'm not uh, a sheikh by any means. I'm a, dip, a humble diplomat. Uh, it's great to be here talking about the, uh, the free trade negotiations, and I think... The word that comes to mind is opportunity, huge opportunity, both for the United Kingdom and for the GCC as a whole. Um, I was reading an article about AI, and with the UK being a, a science superpower in terms of AI, I think these, these type of industries of the future can really play into uh, uh, the free trade agreement negotiations and how we can unlock them, clean energy as well, uh, the potential for SME exports from the UK to really be boosted through uh, free trade agreement. So huge, huge opportunity. I do agree with His Royal Highness in terms of these are not easy discussions to have, but I think um, the baseline is there. And then we have the side chapters to sort of for the, structured according to the relevant GC economy. So I think, um, you know, we shouldn't lose heart. There's lots. Um, progress is good. Uh, there's a spirit of goodwill taking forward these negotiations. And I think we'll get there and it will be uh, for the benefit of each of our respective countries, but also for the benefit of the whole. Thank you so much for that. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get started here with the questions. And Lord Johnson, I'm going to start with you here. You know, as a Minister of State here, what are the specific steps that you say that the UK government is taking to advance those trade relations with the GCC? And how is it different from different agreements that you've had, uh, you know, you've emphasized that the Gulf is uh, an emerging, uh, you know, region, and it's something that you know takes up your interest. So, how is this different this time? Well, I mean, this time it isn't different in okay. some respects, but this time it's incredibly different. What, what we've worked on over the last few years, uh, with each 
country individually are these very powerful investment <coughs> agreement templates. So whether it's a sovereign investment partnership or a strategic investment partnership or an industrial partnership, the, the reality, as I said at the beginning, each nation has, has a specific symbiotic relationship with the UK in terms of where they want to make their investment, uh, where they see uh, their own economy developing in terms of, and Mansell mentioned uh, AI and, and uh, high technology um, for the UAE, potentially, if you look at Saudi Arabia, the, the absolutely astonishing, by the way, I mean, astonishing uh, ambitions of the crown prince in that nation in, t- in terms of building an entire nation uh, in the space of about 20 years, which is an unbelievable opportunity for our businesses uh, and in terms of our investment in Saudi Arabia, and of course, Saudi Arabia investing back into the UK. Um, the same for uh, Qatar uh, with Project Oryx, which is uh, something you, some of you may have read about, which involves setting up you know, wonderful science and technology investment zones within the UK, um, and Kuwait and, and Bahrain, where I was just last week celebrating uh, the strategic investment partnership that we signed about a month ago, and the same for Kuwait that we signed about uh, about a month ago as well, a month and a half ago. So for, for me, it's about having strong government-to-government relations. It's about working this side in the UK to create the product that is uh, applicable for the specific national interests of our partner country, whether it's Saudi or Qatar or wherever it may be. Um, and then making sure that those are aligned. And uh, that, that's, that's been a very successful recipe. And it's something that we're continuing uh, over the following year, year and a half, to run in parallel with the GCC discussions. And I think that all countries have celebrated the way that we've worked, and, and each country has benefited enormously from that specificity. Just one point on the, on the trade deals themselves. I mean, we're in Manchester. And for those of you who aren't aware of it, free trade was invented in Manchester, uh, which is rather bizarre. You may forget, you may forget as we hear the, as we hear the uh, crowds outside uh, protesting against the Tories uh, and the capitalists. Actually, it all came from this place. And so, you know, the concept of free trade, the concept of um, low or zero tariffs, of reduced friction at borders uh, and access to each other's markets, both state in terms of procurement uh, and civil, is, is at the core of creating the wealth for the Gulf's next stage of development. So it's not just about the UK getting the 5% tariff off, I don't know, uh, pencils or whatever it is that we're exporting. It's actually, if, if, if the Gulf wants to go to the next stage and become these multi-trillion dollar economies, it cannot do that uh, in, in a closed sense. It can't simply be closed economies. They, ha- they have to open their, their markets. And, and what better way than to do it as an ally nation that's completely aligned with, the, with our overall collective interests than the UK? So this is a really safe space in terms of free trade uh, experimentation to some extent. I know that there have been some successful GCC trade, trade deals in some country-specific ones, but this is, this is really totemic. It's very important for our own trade uh, access in terms of growing our own economy, particularly in science and technology. But I think, without sounding like I'm lecturing, it's very important for the individual Gulf states for them to develop to the next phase in terms of seeing their economy expand, particularly in science and technology and, and R&D. Okay, so uh, Your Royal Highness, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the question now to Saudi Arabia. And I know that the UK has said that they expect this deal to add at least about 16% in extra trade for the UK. So can you give me the statistics and numbers? You know, what is the benefit for Saudi Arabia and perhaps the GCC as a whole? And I'll come to you as well in the UAE in a bit to get those statistics as well. well it's, <clears throat> it's a very good question. Um, I don't want to get into too much too much time spent on statistics because for two reasons. Number one, we're moving at a pace in Saudi where every time we mention a statistic, it's blown out of the water before we can keep track of it. And um, it it makes us look either that we're being too ambitious or too unambitious. I think what's important, we're looking at much more in general terms of hopefully tripling 
trade and investment between our two countries. Um, and that's without a trade agreement. Uh, the opportunities are huge. We, we are introducing into our economy huge new markets that didn't exist 10 years ago. Uh, tourism, sports, they existed, but very, you know, lightly. Uh, mining, healthcare, education. You pick whatever industry you can think of, and we're expanding dramatically in it. When you're growing at such a pace, you can't be doing it all on your own. We don't have the capacity to do all the things we need to be doing on our own. We're reaching out regionally, but we're also reaching out to our partners and our friends around the world. And the United Kingdom is the perfect partner for us because it offers skills and knowledge in all of the sectors that we're looking to expand in. The UK itself is going through a massive change post-Brexit, and it's looking for markets to export what it's doing in. Um, Europe, as in general, and the Western world are facing many headwinds, economic headwinds, with high energy prices, inflation, and they need to find markets to expand in. What they have, we need. The opportunities are there. The ability to co-invest is there. But more importantly, we have things that they need as well for the first time, outside of resources. And if you look at the dynamics... Like what? I'm curious. Opportunity, optimism, ambition, direction, all there in, in the GCC. Not just the GCC, but the wider Middle East. If you look at the population dynamics, when you need, when you want growth, real growth, and you want real direction, innovation, positivity, it's not just you know, economic capital that you need. You need human capital. The things we need vis-a-vis our human capital, education, opportunities, research, they can provide. We can provide the people. We've got plenty of young people who are well-educated, but we want them to be even better educated. We want them to have better uh, experience. All of these things we can work together on, and the population dynamics of the region are remarkable. 40% of our population is in school and university in Saudi. So the wor real world they hit is going to be the new world we set up for them. And if that's a free-trading world... That's how you grow forward. What we've learned from the last 100 years in particular is that if you try and control economy too much, it fails. And you need to have that freedom of movement to create the competition and innovation uh, that will take us to the next level. But we want to do it together. Okay, so Ambassador Rahul, I'll come to you now with a similar question. But so how does the UAE look at those potential benefits from the free trade agreement? And, you know, you did mention some sectors earlier, but, you know, what are some of the sectors that you're really looking to focus on uh, in this kind of agreement? What are the favorable terms that you'll be negotiating for? Well, I very much agree with uh, Prince Khalid in terms of the will to get things done and the youth opportunity that, and talent opportunity that lies in our part of the world. But if I think of uh, overall bilateral trade with the UK, uh, the UAE's overall bilateral trade with the UK, we're around £23 billion. Pounds. Um, since 2021, uh, we have invested north of £10 billion pounds in the Sovereign Investment Partnership. So these are metrics you know, ahead of the free trade agreement. 
you mentioned that it would unlock 16% benefit for the GCC. I think these are huge numbers. But as an example, you asked me to reference an example, I'd think of fintech. Uh, so we have two formidable financial service centers in the United Arab Emirates, the DIFC and the ADGM. Fintech is valued at about $2.5 billion, uh, in the UAE and is one of the fa- fastest growing sectors we have. Uh, we sort of very young population reach in the region with very low banking. So, for instance, that w- we'd see um, with the UK being sort of a leading player in the fintech world, that a huge opportunity for British companies that already may have a second home in the DIFC. Uh, other areas, clean energy, I think women's economic empowerment, there's many, a lot of, you know, and um, I agree entirely with what Prince Khalid said. You know, it's it's not just, and what Lord Johnson said, it's not just about sort of removal of barriers. It's the economic, um, the principles of economic liberalism that have been so central to the UK's successful development, but also the UAE's and many other economies in the GCC. Uh, so I think uh, a lot of different metrics there, financial services I mentioned, uh, and I think it's also about sort of within that domain alignment of regulatory systems, um, you know, to really streamline uh, the flow of trade and boost it. Yeah, so Lord Johnson, I want to come to you now, and we're going to talk a little bit about the challenges potentially here. So when we're looking at, or perhaps you can share some insights into how the UK is addressing potentially maybe some regulatory and logistical challenges to facilitate this trade deal. Uh, You know, obviously there are several economies in in the GCC. There's a lot of negotiations there, perhaps a lot of travel for you, and hopefully some miles as well, right? But uh, what are some of the things that you're looking at from a regulatory perspective? Well, I've certainly been travelling a lot uh, and had a wonderful trip to uh, Bahrain just last week and, and Kuwait and um, Saudi and UAE and all, all the great countries. I haven't been to Oman yet, but I'm hoping to, to, to go very soon. Um, so that, that's... And, and, I mean, I can't underestimate the importance of people-to-people relationships. And, you know, I, I say this on record, and I know I've got some of my ambassadors in front of me and some of them... Well, not my ambassadors, the ambassadors I deal with. I look upon them as my ambassadors. <laughs> uh, the relationships are, are, are personal. They, they become very close. We spend a lot of time working working together and, and that that's part of the, that's part of the symbiotic relationship between uh the various different countries and i see heather in, in the audience and various other people i know who who have just been very important in ensuring that we're glued together and i'm, I'm sorry to say that the covid uh, process if you can call it that really really basically delayed all the, our ambitions by several years and it's taken probably you know a year or so to get back on track i mean ch- challenges with free trade deals are um always surmountable in my view and there's often an element of, of psychology of the home market in terms of you know, what it is that that domestic audience thinks is an issue that becomes a stumbling block more than it, than it may be. Um, and that, uh, that, that, that's, for the, and that's both sides, by the way. Um, and that's for the domestic uh, sort of the politicians to deal with on the domestic front. Um, I mean, I think from, from my point of view... It's actually worked amazingly smoothly. I mean, I'm not involved in the negotiations. I'm the investment minister, so I, I've, I've had great country-to-country relationships. But for my conversations with our negotiating team and the ministers, when you consider that there are multiple moving parts, it's actually worked extremely smoothly, and we, we have continued to make progress. And there's an enormous number of, uh, of negotiators. I think it's 100-plus negotiators came to London about six months ago. I mean, the hotel industry in this country is booming as a result of the GCC trade deal, which is very helpful. <laughs> but then, unfortunately, we go the other way. A hundred of our negotiators, or not quite as many as a hundred, uh, but our team then goes over to the GCC. So it's a series of cycles. I think what's really important is political momentum. We need to be very public about it too. This shouldn't. I'm, 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 
I take an opposite view to, to many of my uh, of, no, many of the officials who think that trade deals should be conducted in the utmost secrecy. Actually, I think trade deals, in many instances, is helpful if you air some of these points, mm-hmm. particularly if there are uh, domestic issues, domestic considerations that aren't actually that can be that can be easily solved. Um, so suspicions or whatever they may be. Uh, so I'm very keen that we talk about it, that all the ambassadors talk about the um, GCC deal, that we talk about it, and we talk about the optimistic um, opportunity it will present to us, and we keep driving ourselves to quite a hard timeline. I like that. I like the talking hook, and I'm going to push you there. So where are we now in that cycle of talks? Where are the talks currently? Well, I think we've had four, four forgive me, I, we have, we have four rounds. We're on the fourth round. There are normally about 11, 12 rounds in, in trade. So we're sort of just under halfway through. Okay. Um, I mean, I think... As with all these things, you, you get to a funnel point. So you mm-hmm. do what you often do with the easiest points first, is sort of agreement, and then you get to the sort of key sticking points that, that come together. I think we've been quite aware of some of the sticking points from the earlier stages, which, in, in my view, again, is the better way of doing it. Uh, you should sort of reverse engineer, uh, get the difficult bits out of the way, and then the rest of it just falls into place. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I praise the negotiators on both sides. I've had such good reports of the GCC team uh, and the lead uh, political staff and the diplomats and, and the team. So that's very helpful. So I, I understand there's a good degree of chemistry, which is very powerful and sets you know, the tone for, for our alignment. And I would say, and, you know, I'm not speaking on behalf of my colleagues, but you have to do a deal that everyone's happy with. Mm-hmm. And if it takes a bit of time to do that, then that's good. That's the right thing to do. And the India trade deal is a good comparator, where I think the original expectations were it was going to be done by, by a set date and everyone talked about it. And, and the wonderful Boris Johnson and his optimism said it would be done sort of by next Tuesday. And clearly it turned out it was a more complicated affair than that and it remains to be so. And I think it, the message we put back from that very clearly is you want to get the right deal for all sides. Because if you don't, uh, it won't have real meaning. It won't be implemented properly. And the, the real challenge following a trade deal, it, these deals mean nothing unless businesses take advantage of it. So we then have to rejoice in it. We have to go out and project it. And if everyone's not really delighted about the opportunity it presents them, even though there's always good compromise on all sides, then it's going to have no impact. Yeah. So you know, I'm, I'm, I think we're very contented with the process as it stands. But clearly, we just want to keep up that momentum, and I'm counting on my colleagues. So I'm going to head to Saudi Arabia here, and we're talking about momentum. There's been a lot of debate and discussions on when the crown prince is going to be coming to the UK. You knew that question was coming. I could see that in your face. So do we, do we have a specific date yet? Do we know? Are we preparing those jets to come in? We're constantly preparing for the trip. Um, <clears throat> to put it in perspective, it's a trip that we've been preparing for for quite some time. Um, but, you know, world leaders have very, very busy schedules. And what's important, rather like the free trade deal, is to make sure that the trip is right. There's no point doing something just for show and for cameras because the nature of the relationship, and this applies to the whole GCC. Um, it's a deep relationship which we want to make sure um, is matched by the things we do in public. So we're still working out exact details and dates and trying to match everything up and make sure we can get achieved in a trip all that we want. So short answer is we're still planning. We haven't booked the tickets quite yet, but it could happen any day, any week now? could happen anytime. Okay. If, if the stars align, it'll happen. But the, the intention is there. You know, we've agreed on the trip. And we're just working out how we can fit it all in, into a very short availability of time for both leaders. Okay. All right. I'll take that answer. Uh, so, <laughs> Ambassador Abuho, I'll come to you now. And I want to talk a little bit about 
you know, the, the economic development side of things and how you think that, you know, the role of technology and innovation, because you did hit that fintech is particularly an expanding uh, sector. I covered tech when I was based in the UAE and it was just booming then and I'm sure it's booming now today. So how do you see that role playing and how do you manage to get companies that are based in the UAE that are competing between Abu Dhabi and Dubai to also look at the UK and vice versa? So I think it's very much sort of a relationship that's, that's growing, evolving. It has strong foundations now. If you think of DIFC, they've, all, they've developed a fintech startup ecosystem there. Um, there's, I think, over 600 startups based out of DIFC, uh, some unicorns. So it's a very rich system. But, of course, that is a two-way relationship. And as I said earlier, the UK being a tech sort of leader in that space is very much... But I think this is, these are areas that um, are continually uh, evolving, developing. Uh, there's the AI, AI Safety Summit the UK will host coming up very soon. Um, so all these things kind of move it along. We have our own ministry, our own minister for AI. Um, huge ambitions when it comes to space. All of this is driving forward partnerships between ac academic institutions. So I think it's a very thriving uh, sector. And of course, the UK being leading in all these spaces from academia to research and development to tech. Uh, it, it naturally, it's a natural fit for us. Fantastic. So, Lord Johnson, I'm going to come back to you now. And you did mention that you, you kind of, you knew what some of the challenges are coming into this. Um, but, you know, I want to ask you in particular here, what's the UK pushing for from the Gulf here? And we're talking now about perhaps changes in labor regulations, protections. Uh, you know, obviously the UK has a, has a working model that works. Uh, potentially now I know that there's a lot there that you can potentially look at. So what are some of the things that you're thinking about when you're going into these talks? Well, well thanks, Lord. I, I mean, I must make it very clear, I'm not responsible for the negotiations. So anything I say is broad speculation from my point of view. We love that. We these, love these speculation. These are things I want rather than necessarily the, reg the negotiators are sort of going toe-to-toe -to -toe on. Um, and I think that from, from, my, from my point of view, if you, think, if you think of how to grow global markets, no, Benjamin Franklin said no one ever got poor through free trade. But bizarrely, a lot of people just feel uncomfortable with free trade. It's, sort of, it's very counterintuitive to lots of people. So you say, well, why, why should we um, let our domestic markets suffer on account of imports? Shouldn't we buy locally? You know, it's a great question mark. For procurement, shouldn't we just buy locally and, and pay a little bit more because doesn't that make sense to keep the money in the economy and so on? But actually what happens in economies is if you free up your markets and you, and you look at the best possible price and the best possible quality uh, and you open yourself up to international competition, then your economy functions much more effectively and capital is better allocated, which leads fundamentally to a wealth effect. But it's much more invisible. And always, sadly, the consumer who benefits from free trade is, is numerous and disparate, whereas the producers are singular and, and, and powerful and concentrated. So, you know, that, that, well, this is on both sides, so it's not me, it's not me preaching. But in terms of access to uh, the markets domestically, I mean, we're obviously keen to participate in the, in the phenomena that is NEOM and, and, and the creation of the modern Saudi Arabia and how we can get access to domestic procurement and to make sure that those, those procurement processes uh, allow us to compete, allow our, our large but also our smaller businesses to compete because sometimes those processes can be very cumbersome on both sides, so it's opening up our markets too. On financial services and services access, some countries uh, like Bahrain and in fact the UAE, Dubai have been very forward-footed in creating these uh, English, uh, you know, English law uh, financial services zones, uh, as I said, in some of the other Gulf countries. But it's expanding beyond that and making sure that those sort of legal protections afforded to our investments and companies um, you know, have a sense of the long-term 
uh, predictability, which I think is very important. Again, all this reflects back on the domestic economies to create more economic activity. And we, and we shouldn't be embarrassed. I, I wrote down some of the other things that we are exporting to the Gulf. And football uh, is a pretty, big, a pretty big export. Some of the football teams, I don't know if anyone's watched Newcastle or Man City recently, but they, they're being represented well, well here. We should have a, a football off maybe with the ambassadors. Um, you know, Formula One, our, our key uh, e-sports, um, film and media, uh, the, 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 the ambitions for um, some of the partnerships between the UK and, and uh, the UAE and um, Saudi are very good examples of that. And the last thing I say is our legal system, uh, which is an enormously powerful export that we, we, we forget about at our peril. But this, this, is, this is one of the reasons why we're so excited about having free trade deals, because we agree on the power of common law processes for international commerce and the free trade zones, which lead the way. When I'm thinking of our free ports in the UK and the investment zones, I'm thinking in my mind, we want to be like the IFC. We want to be like what they're creating in Saudi Arabia or um, uh, what they've done in Qatar and so on. Uh, and th- they've actually been, if I may say, slightly more ambitious uh, even because they've got that history and that it's, it's, you know, it's, it's been more um, straightforward to sort of create these extraordinary zones. But I, that's what I look to when I think of these free trade zones. And how can we use, how can we reflect back where, they, where, where we've seen great success in the Gulf states back into the UK? We didn't invent everything here. We're learning a huge amount from how they are creating a modern economy. And there's often that leapfrog effect where legacy can actually hold you back. Whereas, you know, you take a country like Saudi Arabia, they're literally creating a, a modern nation almost from scratch to some extent, in certain terms of the infrastructure. So what could we learn, learn from that? So the, the last thing I'd say, sorry, I've spoken for a bit, but this is important to get this point across. If I look back at our relationship 20 years ago, and I was involved in, in finance and working with, the, with many Gulf countries and sovereign wealth funds, it was a very one-way relationship. It was basically, could we have some, could we have some money uh, to invest uh, and how much can we take the mandate for? And, you know, here are the things we, we have to offer. Uh, now the relationship is, is completely different. It truly is an, al- an alignment, a symbiotic relationship where each domestic economy has an enormous amount of power to offer whatever it may, in whatever area it may be. Uh, and, and we are partnering with that country and having a true two-way investment relationship. That's very powerful for us because it helps drive our standards. Uh, and I want the free trade deal to, to allow us to access those markets both ways, which will just make everyone richer. I'm going to take a pause here and ask our panelists if you'd like to respond to any of the specific comments that Lord Dominic had just shared with us. Well, I'd, <clears throat> I'd like to highlight one issue is that we often get asked, what's going on with your free trade deal? Why haven't you signed? You guys talk all the time about how complementary the economies are, um, how well-fitted and well-suited you are. This should have been done and dusted a long time ago. Um, But for precisely the reasons that Dominic just highlighted, it has to work. It has to fit both sides. And it covers so many more issues than people expect. When you hear, most people hear free trade agreement, they literally think of goods and services going back and forth. It is much deeper than that. It is regulatory systems. It is creative arts. It is all sorts of academia. These are not easy things to figure out how you trade them. Um, But in addition to that, there are many areas where we want to develop our industries. And number one, we need to decide which ones we want to develop and which ones it makes more sense to actually bring in and, and import. So all of those details need to be worked out, what is best for us and what is best for the UK, because it, a, a deal that is light 
and um, easy doesn't achieve much. A deal that is too heavy and detailed is impossible to read. So you need to find the right balance of covering all of the subjects, but actually making it function and allowing the private sector to look at it and say, yeah, I understand that and I see where the benefit is for me. If you don't do that, the whole thing's a waste of time. And the 11 rounds or whatever it may take, hopefully not that many, um, becomes a waste of time for everyone. So it's one of the reasons things have progressed at the speed they have. But when it's a good deal, they pick up very quickly. You get the difficult stuff out of the way. And as you said, Dominic, everything else fits into place. And I think by and large, um, partly because there's such goodwill between both sides, uh, we will make these things work. But we want plenty of our industries in the region to flourish as well. So that's the only thing I would add. Ambassador Abelhold, would you like to...? Yeah, I mean, I would certainly agree with uh, Prince Khaled on that. Uh, you know, and pace is essential for, um, for reaching you know, the, the, uh, the finish line here, um, or the start line, should I say, in a very prosperous relationship. But I'd also add a bit more to what Lord Johnson said in terms of the relationship really between the GCC and the UK really having evolved into something that is a partnership. When you think of DP World uh, and Jebel Ali Free Zones and sort of the expertise they've developed, which are world-class, uh, now supporting, enabling um, key channels of trade into the UK, uh, and they have world-class systems. They're a global ports operator. If you think of Jebel Ali Free Zone, it forms a quarter of the GDP of the Emirate of Dubai. So huge expertise in that. Also, new emerging areas in uh, potentially in clean nuclear, where we've had amazing success stories. And you know, I think this is. So I really, you know, I take heart in that, and I think we will get across. There's been a very pragmatic um, approach uh, by all, all parties in the negotiations, and. I think the model is there to form this baseline and have these side agreements, side chapters. So I think we'll get there. So very excited about what's to come. Director Charlotte, I want to come to you now. I want to hear about business, private sector. What are they saying? What are some of the conversations you're having? What are their concerns? What are they looking forward to? There's huge appetite from the private sector businesses that I talk to to get involved. Sometimes they're not always quite sure how pathways to making those connections aren't always as clear as they could be so it's enormous appetite but it's how you link up the appetite with the response which is what I think we can perhaps work a little bit more on. Yeah so could we talk a little bit about how we can get private sector involved in the participation here? Well, in, private sector in, in involved in the trade talks I think that we could privatise them that would be the officials might be very upset about that I think that there's, there's already I mean 40 billion collectively uh, trade a year with, uh, with GCC so they're, they're the fourth biggest I think collectively fourth biggest uh, trading partner of the UK that's pretty big if you think the one, one's the US two's uh, China uh, plus Hong Kong and Macau and I think three's Germany or France I mean you, you know you're, you're talking a, a, our most important sort of non-hyperpower economy uh, trading partner and so businesses are doing a huge amount as it is, I mean, that, what, what I'm excited about when I, when I think of my, you know, my children growing up, uh, I went to Hong Kong when I, you know, finished the university and, and went to look for a job, and that's what a lot of my peers did. And now I'm saying, go to the Gulf, go to Saudi Arabia, go to um, Dubai or, 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 or Doha or wherever uh, to seek your fortune. So that that in itself is enormously exciting, just in terms of the cultural links. Then you've got the universities, the thousands, the tens of thousands of students from the Gulf countries that study here. And the really wonderful rollout of UK universities and schools 
Uh, you could have an entire Harry Potter British public school education from sort of three to 22 without ever leaving Riyadh now. <laughs> and uh, that's an amazing thing because not only is it, is it one of our most powerful exports, but it confirms the cultural links yeah. that bind our countries together. So, it's, so I'm, I've always been very pro helping the education sector because it's, it's more than simply a dollar uh, in the balance sheet. It, it, it gives us uh, assimilation. Um, and then across the board in science and technology, in financial services, uh, in, ma in, manu in advanced manufacturing and in critical areas such as defence, we have uh, these very, very strong industrial partnerships where you know, manufacturing and design is happening on, in, in both sides. Uh, and you know, the, the, the Commonwealth prospers as a result. So I, I don't think that, that businesses need any further encouragement. What they need is the framework to enable them to invest with certainty on both sides and access to each other's markets, particularly when it comes to procurement, which I think in Saudi Arabia is going to be very important. And then there are others, you know, as, 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 um, as Royal Highness wisely said, trade deals are now um, really quite far-reaching uh, organisms. It's not simply tariffs and quotas. Uh, it, it covers a whole range of, of important values-based um, concepts, uh, such as labour relations and, uh, and, and, and rights for um, you know, the workers in, in the different businesses, so, which is important because otherwise you have an arbitrage of standards. So it's, mm -hmm. it's not you know, simply the case of morality. It makes strong economic sense as well to make sure that you're all trading on the same, on the same terms. So that takes time. And by, but by having those conversations, all of us raise our standards and everyone comes out stronger um, from, from, from these conversations. So I, I think to some extent, whilst you don't want to you know, make a virtue of the length of a trade negotiation, the very process itself, as Sir Hannah said, if it happened tomorrow, it wouldn't have the deep meaning. So it does take time, uh, but the end of that journey is a very, very prosperous uh, and exciting new economic partnership. And it's also sounding like a learning experience for all sides involved, right? I, well, I, ho I hope it's bringing the GCC even closer together. Uh, the joy of negotiating with the British. The British negotiators, uh, you, you always need sometimes an external factor to, to make people even more yes. uh, collective. And I'm sure our, our tough negotiating team are managing to do that. But that's not a, I mean, it's not an, <coughs> a point to underplay. It's, you know, the GCC is a, a unified organisation that was built on economic relationships. Um, in, in looking at how we as a GCC want to address our multilateral but essentially bilateral relationships with, with other nations, it puts into light and to focus the issues that separate us. While we may be very similar, we're not exactly the same. We have different issues and different um, pull points um, and different priorities. Once you begin to see that... Someone once asked me, what's the, what's the problem with the Arab world? Wow, that's... A <laughs> Which, as you can all imagine, is a very difficult question to answer. And the only way I could simplify it is to say the problem with the Arab world, because it's got similar culture, similar language, similar religions, it's all in one place. The problem is we spend far too much time focusing on what is similar between us rather than what separates us. And you don't fix problems by working on what works. You fix problems by working on what doesn't work. And when you have such close relationships... You know, we're essentially siblings. You don't want to focus on the differences. So it, these kind of negotiations do help to highlight them in a very um, useful way for us, which helps brings, uh, bring us together. And I think one thing that I've seen in, in this ra these trade negotiations, I haven't been involved in other ones, is 
that the GCC position over the first three rounds has really, really developed quite a long way and has become much more unified, mm -hmm. simply because we're really focusing on the issues we have amongst us. And I think that's a, it's an important element of this uh, for us as a GCC, not just as the relationship with the UK. Ambassador Eberhol, I'll ask you to, to step in here and perhaps you can comment also on what are some of the common goals that you're discussing among your GCC partners when it comes to this free trade agreement, mm. following up on uh, the comments that we've just heard. You know, I think um, I wouldn't want to comment on the specifics of the negotiation while they're underway. The fifth round will happen this month in Riyadh. Um, but what I would say, I think, uh, an important point listening to my colleagues on the panel is that the United Kingdom can really help us deliver on our vision programs and diversify our economies. Uh, and we're talking about benefits to SMEs both ways, in the UK, but also in our part of the world. SMEs form the mainstay of UAE economy. So I think there's, there's a genuine sort of partnership here uh, that will drive out. I, I'd rather focus on the opportunity being an optimism, optimi optimist, um, you know, rather than um, but the specifics, they're negotiations, they're very specific, they're specific negotiation teams, and I think there's good progress. I mean, fifth round will happen. Um, they've closed out some chapters, so I can't say more than that, but you know, I think uh, the model um, that's been agreed upon um, serves to reach uh, the destination, so I think we're, we're placed well. We just need to remain focused and not get distracted by anything, and as His Royal Highness say, pace, we need to get there. And so... Uh Lord Johnson, I'm going to ask you one final question, perhaps then open it to the floor a little bit. Uh, you know, with an election coming up next year, uh, there is, you know, the economic situation in the UK, globally as well, not actually no, the UK is doing very, doing very, very well. Much, yes, uh, we're not, don't lump us in with the rest of them. 100% better than uh, EU partners as well. Yes. Yes. Uh, but, you know, how do we see these local challenges, perhaps, you know, will they impede these talks or, you know, will this be an incentive for us to finalize those talks a bit more promptly well i mean in terms of our economy we are doing extremely well absolutely and, the statistics uh, do show that yes. in, for my investment brief we, we are top of the league it's incredible that the money that's uh, coming into this country for investment much of it very gratefully received from from our, our colleague nations uh, in in the gcc so there's no economic issue in fact the stronger the economies in all our countries the more likely it is that you do a trade deal because it lowers sort of tension and friction in terms of come on you know tariffs and so on let's let's, let's give this let's let's sort of throw our cap over the wall i mean I think you mentioned the election i i, I can't pretend that there won't be one next year uh or there can technically be in january 2025 i think that's true. Uh, that's true but that i don't see why this would, would make any difference to some extent uh, it is it is a, a helpful driver of or focuser of attention i always think a negotiations is important i don't know if anyone here has done you know, a, a complex corporate deal one of my colleagues, but, you, but there's something called deal tension, mm -hmm. which, is, which is sort of rather undescribable, highly subjective. You just know, you know, it, it is literally like a line, like a line of, of fishing. It's, it's all linked together, and we have to maintain deal tension. That's very important. And as soon as you lose deal tension, then clearly then the imperative um, uh, depletes, and so often these things don't happen. So you have, you have to keep that tension around it. So I, 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 I'm very happy to use anything such as, uh, you know, a prospective election to, to say, OK, let's, you know, let's keep rolling because obviously you want to try and we want to try and do this as, as quickly as possible. But I say this, you know, importantly and apolitically, that uh, you know, the UK as, as, a, as, a, as an institution wants to do a trade deal with the GCC. It's very important for both our uh, sets of economies. Um, there's a huge amount of alignment. You know, the, these countries are our allies. 
And I think if I look around the world at complex trade deals and trade deals that I think are very straightforward in the sense of, you know, we're all pointing in the same direction, we're, we're very symbiotic in the sense that I think there are very few areas where we are competing. So if you take agriculture, which is one of the most contentious elements of a free trade deal, you know, there, there isn't that, you know, there's not, not huge number of amounts of, sort of beef or, or lamb coming, mm-hmm. from, uh, coming from, you know, the UAE. Uh, to, to, to cause further friction. So the, the, all the opportunities are there. We fit like a Lego piece together to build, you know, to build the wall of prosperity. And maybe it's a staircase. Maybe I'm losing my, my, uh, my similes. So we've got to take advantage of that. So anything I can use to, to keep your tension up or promote that, I will do. But fundamentally, you know, this is the, a good deal gets done. This is a good deal that we should do. And I don't think it matters who's, who's in charge of either my department uh, doing the negotiator's job or leading the UK. Um, we, we would be keen to see this happen and it will benefit everyone if it does. That, that's a great answer. Director Charlotte, I'm going to come to you for the first Director question. Charlotte, I love that, yes, that, that yes. title. We are using titles today on this panel, so I'm going to come to you with the first question that you'd like to throw to our panelists. Oh, goodness me. Firstly, I, I like the term Director Charlotte. Yeah. Um, to panelists, uh, particularly to our two ambassadors, what are the key obstacles that you, that you find in negotiating with the UK? It's a difficult question and an undiplomatic question, but uh, we're amongst friends here. So what can we do better from our side? I think we probably um, uh, have adjusted. We're not numb, but we're adjusted to um, sort of the rounds that have happened. And we don't necessarily think of them um, as impatiently. But, you know, there will always be... A, that's why you have negotiations, I guess. Um, but... I don't see. As I say, I keep going back. I think we have the model in place. They've chosen a baseline. There's side agreements, side chapters. You know, this will allow uh, uh, flex for the specific economies we have there. So I think, you know, I, I don't. Uh, it would be difficult to comment at this stage on specific negotiations. I mean, I think um, <clears throat> there are standard difficulties with any negotiation. So. Um, you mentioned the ele- election, Dominic. While it, it is there, it does provide us with a motivating factor because if you don't get this wrapped up before an election, you have an, you know, the pre-election um, craziness of, of, a, of a, uh, a campaigning season. Then you have a new government or a newly formed government or a new administration or a new group of people and it's very rare after an election, even if, a, if a, a, a government wins the election, that everything stays the same. So everything shifts and changes, and, and priorities shift and change. So that, that it does provide a motivating factor and a, and a natural difficulty. Um, plus you have what's happening else in the world. So bandwidth of any government to do any particular thing in this modern world can be limited. But, you know, these are the same problems you would face with any issue, not just a trade agreement. And I think that's a highlight of the not just the determination between both sides, but the relationship between both sides, that we don't have many difficulties. Um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm very positive that now that we've hit the halfway mark things will will pick up quickly and and run more smoothly. It it always takes time at the beginning of anything. Um, But by and large, it's pretty smooth. And as Mansour said, it's been set up well and it's functioning well. So That's great to hear. We we like that. We like that a lot. So I'm going to open the floor to questions now to our, uh, our guests here. I saw the first hand come up. 
there. If you don't mind introducing yourself uh, and telling us who you are protecting your question. You have to wait to get the microphone. Yeah. You've, forgo you've right forgotten about that, you. haven't you? <laughs> okay. um, I'm Dr. Fatir Hamid. I'm an Iraqi British. Uh, it's actually my comments to um, Lord. Uh, it's regarding the trade between, not the Gulf, between Iraq and um, Britain which is, um, I work internationally as well between Iraq and Britain, well, mainly Scotland, because I'm the deputy chair for a Glasgow Conservative. So um, it's actually, and it was um, said to me by a senior minister in Iraq in May that it's Britain need to look into the process of how it's really to ease up the process of importing and exporting we try to export to Kurdistan. Um, mind you, this is the third, is going the third, um, I would say, embargo to Kurdistan, which is gone yesterday. So, um, Iron Brew, the Scottish drink, we actually exported it from Scotland to Kurdistan, to Erbil, Slemania, and hopefully to the rest of Iraq. But it's the process what we really faced with. Um, yes, it's eased up a bit for the second um, cargo, but the third one again went into back the same process that it's complicating. So please, I know you don't deal with the process, you said it, but your staff. Shall we, okay. shall we give the minister a chance to answer? Yeah, well, I'm glad we're exporting iron brew. Uh, we're the, the champagne of Scotland. Uh, and I hope that will be very much written into the... Uh, and the short bread, Walker short bread And Walker short bread, these are crucial, these are crucial uh, exports. And I love Walker short bread, and, and he, Mr. Walker is, a, is, a, is a, someone I've had the privilege to meet in the past, and they run, they run a fabulous business. So I, anything I can do to assist, I will. I, Iraq isn't going to be included in the um, GCC uh, trade piece, so um, that, that's not so uh, specific for this conversation. But yes, you know, we, we work hard at the DBT to break down export barriers. And the most important thing we can do is to help globally digitize trade. Uh, there's too much paperwork still for exporting, um, and we should be ruthless both on ourselves in terms of ensuring we, we develop our single trade window, which some of you may know is coming uh, soon, but not soon enough. Frankly, we, I'd be keen to see further momentum on that, although it's a very ambitious pro program, and working closely with countries to digitize trade. That, that's the first, first point. The second point is to do as free trade agreements with as many countries as possible. The post-Brexit vision of Britain if we're going to take advantage of this uh, great decision that we've taken. I, just, I saw Nigel Farage out of the corner of my eye just standing here. Maybe he wants to come and join our, our debate. <laughs> but the whole point about the post-Brexit vision of Britain is that we take advantage of our independence by having free trade agreements with as many countries as in the world who can have free trade agreements with, with us. Uh, clearly, there's practicality about the bandwidth of the negotiating process. But the CPTPP that we recently announced is a huge boon. It's a $9 trillion uh, dollar economy. We add three trillion. I mean, this this is the, one of the biggest trading blocks in in history. Uh, when it comes to operating with countries like Iraq, I don't know where they sit in our timetable. But frankly, we should be open-minded about every opportunity that we see. And in terms of specific issues, do let me know. Uh, and all of you, link in with me directly. I'm available to you directly if you have any specific trade issues. And I'll make sure that the team look at it. Thank you for that answer. Uh, we'll have a question here in the front row from our Kuwaiti ambassador. Thank you very much. Shallow to not talk, but uh, I have to talk. Please. To say something is comment and a question. Forgive me, Ambassador. I, I, I completely agree with, uh, with the comment of Ambassadors of Emirates, Saudi Arabia, and Lord Johnson. Lord Johnson, I think you know that 
everybody in the Gulf. If they are unified, they unify the respect of you for, for you and the, the tremendous Thank you, brother. Uh, task you do, you, do, you do with us. And uh, especially the last two months, you work hard with us for, to, to, to sign the, the partnership agreement with Kuwait in the investment. I think when we talk about GCC, there's one point we have to highlight always. We forget it sometimes, but I always rely on it. It's the history. History is so important. And if you can just look at the history of trade, I'm not talking about history of political or no, no, just the trade and, and economic. Last month, we celebrated 70 years of Kuwait investment office in London. That's created before the Kuwait independent by the idea of, of the late Queen Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth and the Emir of Kuwait, they get together and they create the, 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 the KIO who managed 250 billion, uh, you know, bound until now here in, in, in London from Kuwait investment. This is very important. This is very important. Let's make Kuwait and the rest of the Gulf is, is, is a huge partner with, with the UK. And, and it's just a history, but we still... We're still working, we're still developing. And with, with Lord Johnson, he worked hard with us to now to open a new you know, field of investment that we were gonna, we're, you're going to hear about it in the, in the, in the future. Uh, the other thing is, is about the FTA. It's very important as we talk. It's, it's important also to, to say that both parties, is what that my people say in Kuwait, and they agreed to put aside the political. It's a technical And that's that's we we take advantage of the, uh, the lesson from the, the the other you know negotiation negotiation we have, so we agree together, we know each other, to put aside the political and make it mainly technical. This is very important, and that's why we're going to make the, the FTA pass uh, very 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 fast, and they will have a benefit both parties. Thank you very much. That's all. If I may ask you a question while you have the mic oh, there. Question. So what are the <laughs> No, no, it's never a difficult question. So what are some of your priorities going into this? You've talked about putting aside the political, focusing on the trade here. But, you know, in your side conversations, in your conversations with the UK, what are your priorities that you know are, are incredibly important for you that you want to push for no matter what? It's not a matter of push who push. It's difficult to, to say it like that. I, I can't agree with you saying... Who push who good priority? As, as Lord Johnson said and the ambassador said, we both benefit. We have to just go and sit, see what is the benefit of both parties. And, and, and there is some area that's good for you and there's some area good for us, and that we, 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 we concentrate on it. But pushing, I think, it's a, it's a word I don't like to use it in, in, in terms of a UK, UK GCC because I think it's, it's, we agreed upon that we sit and talk and make it fast as soon as possible but uh, the priority it's it's the it's varieties it's each country of us has its own priority always uh, also uh, i think the technicality i will leave it for our people <laughs> technical is better okay so i'm i'm going to take this opportunity here to take a question or to deduce a question from that to our ambassadors on the panel and talk about competition competition's healthy i grew up in a five child household and we were always competing with each other over everything uh, sometimes that it didn't work a lot. yes <laughs> and sometimes it didn't work out for us but sometimes ultimately you grow out and you you really have uh, fruitful industries uh, that are you know more more dominant in some countries or another Uh, so, you know, what do you do when you think about that? You know, I know that Abu Dhabi and Dubai compete with each other. Riyadh is now, you know, in the picture. We've got Niyom now coming as well. So how do we work with these competing uh, priorities? 
I grew up with seven siblings, so you be- I know all about the comp- competition. Look, competition is healthy. Um, <clears throat> the more competition there is, the better it is for everyone because everyone then um, has to put in the effort to keep innovating, to keep developing, to keep changing, to keep improving. If you're not moving forward and you're standing still, you're falling behind. Um, however, if if in my household with eight children we were left to our own devices, there probably would have been only two of us at the end of a few years. So you need to put in a framework where everything functions um, uh, uh, positively. And that's what these agreements are about. That's what the GCC is about. The GCC came together to keep us on the right foot moving forward together and yet still opening the door to competition. That's no different to the agreement we want with the United Kingdom. We want to make sure that we have a good framework so that we don't step on each other in the process of moving forward. And um, opening the opportunity for competition between each other. And again, these are the difficulties that it that is involved in the negotiating process of how do you allow some markets that need to develop the space to develop and yet allow for competition. That may be through giving breaks in time, various breaks that then end after a particular period. Those are the complicated features of any uh, free trade agreement. Um, But if you're starting your conversation by saying, I don't want competition, you're not understanding what free trade means. Um, so I think all of us agree that that's the way forward. Ambassador Abuhal. Yes, I very much agree with that. Um, you know, the GCC is an integrated market. Uh, there is competition within that. Certain uh, of the GCC member states have, uh, in certain sectors, have written the rules um, for a particular sector uh, and kind of led on that uh, uh, in different sectors. So I think it's very integrated. We're very interconnected in terms of um, the flow of our people, uh, you know, the more that overall GCC market grows for us, the better. Uh, um, so I think it's, it's, you know, you've got to, you've got, there will always be sort of healthy competition uh, if you're talking about sort of commercial economics. Um, so, you know, and, and it goes back to in certain sectors, certain countries have kind of written the rules for. Uh, um, uh, and, you know, I could reference, for instance, uh, the DIFC in terms of financial service centre, which is really established over 20 years. But in other sectors, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia would lead on. So I think it's, you know, it's a very comp- uh, symbiotic, the word of uh, uh, Lord Johnson, um, relationship that we, we have. And, uh, you know, I think uh, the more the overall market grows, the better for us. Understood. So I'm going to move back to questions now. I will go to the back and I will come back to you next, I promise. The gentleman in the back. Thank you very much for the opportunity to speak. Um, my name is Richard Pierce. I'm a representative of uh, the Conservatives Abroad based in Romania. I also have a business called British Football School. We've started to work with the, the British Embassy to run community and sports events in, uh, in Bucharest to have a, a British Days. Uh, and it's been small but successful and growing. I've spoken to other ambassadors in the, the European Union. I wonder if, uh, if opportunities like these have been explored by... Uh, the foreign office to, to grow the commercial trade like through soft power like sports days community days I like sports days I hated sports days myself oh, I was no. always last and I, I tried to avoid having to compete in things but I see what you mean it's very popular 
uh, when it, when when uh, when seen as an export. And I mentioned, you know, football and uh, cup, you know, motor racing are two huge exports in the sense that they're huge investments and and have great exportability. And the culture plays a key role around that. I mentioned esports, um, where there's a great Saudi-UK partnership, amongst other things, and film and media. I mean, educa- the education piece, which you're sort of touching on, I think your business sounds very interesting, uh, is, is also vital. I mean, I don't know how many of the ambassadors went to uh, British boarding schools, uh, British universities, or, or Sandhurst, where I know one of them went and, and said he had the loveliest holiday for a year he'd ever had last night. I'm not sure if he was telling me the whole truth around it, <laughs> but certainly the, he's back. Uh, and the cultural, uh, the cultural link we, 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 we developed because of that, uh, it, that relationship is not to be underestimated. Of so in, in terms of the discussions that we have with um, the Saudis and uh, particularly the Saudis who, 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 who just there's current, currently sort of is, is, in, the, is in the channel, um, is a lot around sport and the, and the importance of investing in sport here, investing in sport in, in, in Saudi. And these are British sports, British sports and brands. I find it quite frustrating, and I, I do make this political point. I'm not blaming you, no, I'm not blaming you, but everyone's very down on the UK. The press is very down on oh, the UK, God. and we shouldn't be. We I'm, shouldn't I'm getting be. myself you're ready not. now to you're answer not. your question. Thank goodness you're not down on the UK, but some of your colleagues are, uh, and it's factually wrong. I mean, we, you know, we dominate the world when it comes to so many areas in terms of new, the new economy and clean energy. We are absolutely leading, but also on, in cultural terms. And uh, the, the final shoe to drop on this, this is a pet project of mine, uh, is on fashion. You know, if you think if you think of the global the global fashion brands, too few of them are from the UK. So that's my that's my last piece. But in all the other areas, particularly the one you mentioned, like football, we are genuinely top of the league. In fact, we, we are the league. Uh, the league is is, uh, is is the Premier League. So uh, we've been having a lot of success there. But good idea. And you should talk to the ambassadors here about bringing your business to their countries. It sounds like just the sort of thing you should be doing. I mean, uh, just in terms of Saudi Arabia. Um I'm not aware of the the British embassy there. If it if it does reach out using football as a, a, a means of sort of soft power, which is a word I don't really like, but um, there's a lot of other things happening between not just Saudi but the GCC and the UK when it comes to sport. I think you will have all read about many of the developments, um, and it's a healthy thing. It's a way to engage with people. It's a way to bring people together and actually show on any field whether it's football or rugby or pick the sport or game you like, it's an equalizer between people and it shows people f- for who they are and, and what they are and it breaks down the barriers between people and that's one of the reasons we're investing heavily in sport. Not only does it improve the, the health of our populations but it, it, em- it en- enhances and increases the competitive spirit uh, but more importantly, it brings people together. And this world needs more people coming together and less reasons to separate. And I think sport's a very healthy one. So <clears throat> I'd welcome your your insight into that. And I'd very happy to connect you with your ambassador in the UK, who's uh, in Saudi, who's a fantastic guy. You, you would you like to comment on uh, sports? Sorry, forgive me. Yes. Uh, um, so my the sports of my uh, the love the sports that I love. Are What's horse, your favorite tends sport? To, tends to be horse racing. So oh, um, bicycling. You're a great bicycler as well. Is that, uh, okay. you, your brief is good, <laughs> Johnson. Uh, cycling diplomacy is the other, but horses would be cycling uh, diplomacy. Cycling diplomacy. So I've pledged to cycle the length of uh, of the UK, and I've done about a third of it. From uh, that's amazing. John O'Groats to Glasgow and some of the north. So we uh, we 
more cycling required. I don't know. Can I share a secret with you? I can't ride a bike. (laughs) I know. I'm being judged right now. Come along. You're not being judged. (laughs) That's a very good thing. (laughs) My husband disagrees. So we'll take another question here in the front. Thelma Mattock from Sutton Coalfield. Would a future trade agreement cover accessibility to a skilled labour market? Um, I was in a fringe meeting this morning on um, nuclear energy and uh, we're going to be very short of engineers in a few years' time and um, uh, also student exchange programmes and everything. So um, that's my question. Thank you. Uh, Feel free to... Anyone to take this answer? I I, am delighted you've raised this point. And I've been at great pains over the last year in this role to separate... Uh, business mobility from immigration and too often they're conflated which is extremely unhelpful because they're two completely different things and we, you know in this government we've, we've made great efforts to to encourage business mobility legitimate business mobility to enable businesses to move their staff around into company and we've developed a number of projects to go out to go out and literally reach and headhunt students from the top universities in the world who can come to the UK if you from the top 50 universities in the world you can come here without without a job uh, I think I can't remember the specifics, but basically it's very easy to come here. And for, the, for, the, for certain subjects like quantum and AI, uh, we even, I think, help sponsor uh, some element of the, of the cost of the visa and, and help mentor that postgraduate or doctorate to come in. So I'm completely on side with you when you make those sorts of comments. And yes, it's, I think it's, it's important. If you look at the Australia-New Zealand trade deal, uh, one of the great benefits of that is student movement. So up until we signed the trade deal a few months ago, you had to go and be a sheep farmer for three months if you wanted to go and live in Australia under the age of 30, which is quite prohibitive. Although I'd have enjoyed that, and I can shear a sheep, uh, which I do whenever I go to New Zealand, rather bizarrely, but we'll talk about that later. We actually uh, want to talk the, all about the, it. The, uh, the point is, it now, how liberating is that? How wonderful is it? And, and by chance, my nephew went this week uh, to New Zealand to go and spend, spend a year there. He can just go straight there, uh, and he doesn't have to fulfil the, re- the requirements when he goes on to Australia. And uh, it's really important we encourage this. And I think one of the things that I celebrate is the um, visa, the e-visa. I can't remember what the exact name of it is. ETA. It's called the ETA. ETA. And that, is, that has been specifically um, uh, sort of developed with the Gulf in, in mind, which is a very straightforward um, you know, business mobility. And people, it's not just for business, people mobility. Uh, so, so it's electronic um, access in and out of the UK for Gulf countries. And that goes live, um, I think, in about six months' time. And that's very, very exciting for us. It's exactly what we want. We want lots of visitors coming to the UK and we want to be able to access the Gulf as well. So I, I hear what you say. It's very important and it remains very much a focus of the government and it's going to be a, an important component, I think, in the GCC discussions. Our GCC partners, do we also agree? I mean, uh, yes, I think it's an important, um, it's an important issue. I mean... For someone in my generation in Saudi, the the um, just the thought of us sending our skilled workers here is a sign of the times and the development. Was something I'm very proud of. The fact that you may even consider, uh, you know, I come from a generation where we were the the generation learning to go abroad, um, so we could bring things back to Saudi. So it's a fantastic um, opportunity that is in front of us that we may be sending people here, and I think it fits the population dynamics as well back to what I was saying earlier um, but how they get in here we're always accepting skilled labor in Saudi we need plenty of it in, in are you hiring right now are you trying to poach our, our audience <laughs> no comments <laughs> we can talk later but um, I think it you know movement of people is 
it's important, but it needs to be kept, it needs to be managed because otherwise it gets out of control and people move for the wrong reasons. And I think, you know, everyone's having problems with that wherever you are in the world. Absolutely. Ambassador Abu Hod? Yeah, I mean, I've spoken to British companies who, in fact, have said to me they've recruited from the UAE for certain skilled uh, pools they require here. So, you know, I think those dynamics are starting to change. It's probably, they're smaller numbers, but they're certainly, it's reflective of the markets and how how they're developing. Uh, In terms of student mobility, it's something we would welcome. Uh, The UAE, alongside its GCC member states, you know, is emerging as an education destination, very strong private school market, uh, higher education research institutes. So we will welcome that. And I think with um, Erasmus now having gone, I think there's opportunity to develop uh, in our own, you know, maybe not as as vast as on the scale of Erasmus, but with you know, ties with the, uh, with the GCC in terms of education. I will take some questions here from the front. And if I may just ask us, uh, our, our, our esteemed audience, to maintain the questions within the themes of the topics that we're discussing. Not relevant to you. Please continue. Uh, my name's Sunil Sharma. I work with uh, quite a few GCC investment banks, in particular Saudi Arabian uh, banks. Um, what impact do you think the free trade deal will have, in particular on financial services, in terms of its potential both for uh, the Gulf region and the UK? Uh, Ambassador, would you like to take this here? I think it's a, it's a huge opportunity. Um, again, both ways. You know, historically, you've seen a, um, a huge flow of capital, not just from Saudi, but from the Gulf as a whole, into the United Kingdom because it's it's incredibly strong financial sector. Um, you know, it's probably the most, if not one of the most important financial um, services sectors in the world. Uh, the skill, the knowledge, uh, and the experience that you find in the UK is tremendous, which is why probably a lot of investment banks are working with people here and, and companies here. We're trying to develop, all of us, our own service sectors, um, and financial services certainly one of them. But I think... Again, having an open link between the two countries, between our region and, and the United Kingdom, gives both access in a, in a much more free-flowing way. So, <clears throat> you know, we're trying to stop all our funds going abroad. We want them invested domestically. Um, but part, again, going back to what we were talking about earlier, part of a free trade agreement is aligning regulation and, and giving investors and consumers uh, the, the security that they require before they invest in places and put their money in places. And I think having a situation where someone with money in London or anywhere in Manchester or Newcastle feels comfortable putting their money in Saudi or in Kuwait or in Bahrain or Oman uh, or Qatar um, or the UAE, I think is a positive thing. Equally, as you would expect our people to be comfortable putting their money here. Uh, and again, it widens the pool of competition, which is good, but also offers greater opportunities for investment. I mean, the opportunities for investment in Saudi are, are absolutely enormous right now. And um, But getting the investor comfortable with putting their money there is a more complicated thing and I think a free trade agreement between us goes a long way to achieving that which helps us grow 
but it also helps bring revenue into the UK and growth. Thank you for that answer. For the gentleman sitting in the middle right there. Do I do it with the headphones on or off? Hang on. I think I'm sending myself nuts by doing that. Um, it's um, Charles Schrager, long-time friend of CMEX, and uh, I'm a technology and AI investor. Um, uh, thank you very much for the sort of nuanced and thoughtful discussion. It's not often you get a discussion of this quality, but um, there's an important question I wanted to make. Um, now, that's all of you. Um, the important question is, is it, if one sort of totals up on, on the back of an envelope, the MOUs, strategic um, investment plans and the like, it runs into sort of tens of billions. Um, and if I can be slightly selfish, as far as it relates to technology, um, have you managed to deploy a great deal of it? Um, and if so, um, uh, what have been the barriers to actually finding the things that you really want? Because skills transfer is quite an important part of this, I think. Ambassador Abuhoy, would you like to lead... Well, maybe, uh, Dominic, you can come in just after, but I, you know, I'll start off with the Sovereign Investment Partnership, a key pillar that was announced in 2021. A key pillar of that was, was technology uh, that was supplemented by infrastructure, energy transition, life sciences. But I think after infrastructure, technology comes high up. So, you know, there's huge amounts that have been invested in that particular sector in a very short space of time. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think that's... Yeah, the, no, it's, it's amazing. The, we we, uh, we um, made a commitment with the first SIP, what was it, two, two years ago? 2021. Uh, to invest a certain amount. They've already, they've already gone through that level. Um, uh, His Excellency's uh, uh, estimates of, of, of their investment levels, which I think have been made public, but I'm always discreet about these things, is even more than what he said, as far as I'm aware. And the enthusiasm for further investment uh, is significant. And this ranges from you know, big stakes in some of our big multinationals to science and technology and there was a recent announcement which was a great partnership of UKRI which is the UK um, sort of venture bank uh, Bardala, uh, and this company um, which was about four or five months ago and I can't remember the name of the business but it was it was exactly that it was a perfect uh, relationship between our nations uh, and this uh, tech, you know, tech business so it, it's it's a, it's enormous it's enormous for us uh, to to encourage this investment and then there are opportunities to have people on the ground so a number of the discussions that we're having uh, with, with the different countries. So Kuwait, where we just signed a very successful, um, again, extension to a 70-year relationship. How many relationships? Are, I wish I looked. I hope I, my relationship looks as good after 70 years as the relationship with, with the Kuwait Investment Amen. Authority. It's, uh, it's, it's amazing that. You know, literally it came in the year the Queen uh, came in and is now celebrating its uh, 70th year with a, with a um, new, new monarch. And uh, that, that, is, that has evolved very successfully from classic as I said at the beginning, central London property, frankly, grade A London property, into now uh, investing in our in our some of our most important utilities and technology companies, and that's the future. And I think we should be pretty excited about that. Some people are, are probably more defensive than they should be. For me, I think that relationship is a very important one because we're dealing with our allies. Uh, we want to be aligned. We look for their investment, and they're and they're looking for uh, the intellectual property uh, partnership. It's not a transfer; it's a partnership that again makes us all more successful. It's a very good question. I think a lot happens that people aren't aware of. <clears throat> so a lot of the, I mean, in today's world, I think investment and investment vehicles are much more in tune with what is right, um, if there is a what is right, in that we live in a very connected world, and if two sides don't benefit, usually things fail. The, the era of very quick money is fading away. And 
investments either way, by the way, and it goes both ways. Just because there's a financial element on one side doesn't mean there doesn't there can't be a benefit otherwise on the other. And a lot of that is training and skills and people and hiring people in the right way. In some cases, as you're seeing uh, that I can speak for in Saudi, where we're requiring companies to move to Saudi or in the past we've required a certain amount of employment of locals. Um, but a lot of companies are now doing that anyway because it's better for their business. And I think that's a healthy, healthy thing. But, you know, going back to um, when PPPs first started coming in, being used in healthcare here in, in the UK... I know of a Saudi company that was one of the first to win a PPP contract with the British government. And that was in 1998. Um, and went did a huge amount to help the NHS develop and improve their waiting times, funny enough. Again, maybe there's an opportunity there for us to help now. <laughs> I think I know what case you're referring to. And uh, uh, yes, a very dynamic entrepreneur. We haven't talked about healthcare no. and life sciences, but that's very relevant. And also, uh, you know, veterinary science too but that, that's a crucial area for collaboration perhaps that is an opportunity for you to discuss in your final remarks now we've got about 10 minutes left and i'd like to give each of you about two to three minutes to talk about you know to give us a, a passing note towards the end uh, to everyone here so lord johnson i'll start with you here well i i, I just love this debate i'm very proud to be sitting next door to the uh, um saudi arabian ambassador and the, and the emirati ambassador uh, and to sit opposite my, my colleagues from uh, Oman, uh, Kuwait and, and Bahrain and, and, and Qatar, I'm sure is, is represented in the audience as well. Uh, th- this is a journey that we're all, we're all eager to, to embark on. And it's very exciting for me that to, to look ahead for the next year, having had such a phenomenal period of success for the last 12 months in terms of building these country-to-country investment partnerships. I think we now have a very clear roadmap for investment with, with all the GCC countries which is something that I celebrate. And it's now up to us in the UK to make sure we provide them with the investment opportunities uh, that will allow them to develop their own economies, but also to create the IP that gives us the jobs, the wealth and the security that we need in this, in this nation. And the Prime Minister has been very clear. We, we, we need to be a science and technology superpower. And it's more than just a strapline. If, if we're not, and we don't, we don't own that IP, we don't gather that investment through partnership development, and commercialise these opportunities, we will simply be a second-class, price-taking nation. So this, this is a national endeavour and one, one of maximum priority. And so the symbiosis between the Gulf countries, who are our allies, who we're completely aligned with, where we have truly symbiotic trading relationships in the sense of you know, fr- n- n- r- limited competitive sort of spikes uh, that, that can get in the way of a good relationship. You know, this opportunity is huge, so I don't want to waste that. Uh, we want to keep deal tension uh, as tight as possible and all of us I think it behoves us to drive forward uh, our own politicians and uh, domestic policy makers and officials and the general public to celebrate this enormous opportunity for a free trade alliance between the GCC and the UK. So I'm, I'm loving the process, I'm very privileged to be here and I'm very privileged to call these people uh, who are attending today my friends and I l- look forward to playing my part in bringing us closer together. Your Excellency would you like to give us your final remarks? Um, <clears throat> well, I mean, there's there's very little to be said outside of echoing uh, Dominic. It's um, it's a fantastic relationship. The one thing I would highlight that again, an, another issue that may be overlooked slightly about the importance of of the agreement. Our region is often misrepresented in so many ways. 
and that creates a barrier to people investing and looking at, at the Middle East uh, as a whole, not just the GCC. And despite the opportunities available, people are reticent to get involved, which is a mistake. One, because the opportunities are there, and two, because much of what they think and what they know is wrong. Um, it's very difficult to change that perception quickly. However, a very well-defined, very clear-cut, and well-put-together free trade agreement will alleviate some of the issues that people have before they come and invest. And then once they go and invest and they see it for themselves, they'll realize the benefits of being there and being part of the region, and, and that'll lead to further engagement. Further engagement improves everyone's lot. It improves prosperity. It improves opportunity. But most importantly, it improves stability. And the effect that has, if you look at the GCC, the effect that can have on the region as a whole the crown prince was asked a few years ago of his vision for the Middle East and he said the Middle East should be the next Europe that's not going to come easy but every opportunity is there for the Middle East to be the next Europe and everything we can do to make that happen as a vision I think is positive the free trade agreement although it sounds small can go a long way to creating the opportunity that will improve the whole region and most of you will know that the Middle East may have been the source of quite a lot of problems in the last hundred years. Um, not because we're a problematic people. We've just been at it for a lot longer. It's the cradle of civilization, so we've had much more time to develop more problems than everyone else. Um, you should be quoted on that. That's actually a very good mug. <laughs> <laughs> so <clears throat> it's important not to underestimate uh, what people consider little things and the effect they can have in a wider uh, uh, sense. Understood. Thank you. Ambassador? Very well, sir. Well, I hope when I um, open the newspapers tomorrow, I read headlines, um, deal tension, Lord Johnson underscores deal tension. So, <laughs> it's something I've certainly learned You've, from... You, I, don't, I don't want to be in the papers uh, tomorrow, <laughs> tomorrow morning. <laughs> We've got to get the GCFTA across the line, but I think we need to accelerate the efforts, and that's a really, you know, I think, important uh, takeaway from this discussion here. But when I look at my diary ahead, uh, another one, another huge priority, I think, for us is climate uh, and climate action and energy transition that the FTA can really play into accelerating. So ahead of COP28 in December, you know, that's something we would really like to keep the momentum on through FTA talks. Thank you so much. Director Charlotte, I'm going to ask you for final remarks too. Thank you very much, Noah, moderator Noah. Um, really just to say thank you to the panellists. I was very interested to hear His Royal Highness say what a misunderstood region not only the GCC but the whole of the Middle East can be and, and sadly I think that's very true. Uh, for a little bit of a plug it's what CMEX has been trying to do for 40 years and more is to help people understand this amazing and complex region a bit better and again for as a further plug you'll see some leaflets with QR codes on around you um, if you scan those, you'll be able to access the parliamentary briefing we do for MPs during the parliamentary term time, but it's free for anybody, and it gives you every day a rundown of the key things going on in the region. So if you want to keep up to speed with what's going on in a very changing world, give that a scan and give it a go. Um, but thank you, Noah, and thank you to all the panellists for making this such a special occasion. And a special thank you to our panellists. 
Lord Dominic Johnson, the Minister of State for the Department of Trade, His Royal Highness Prince Khalid bin Bender, the Ambassador of the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia to the UK, and His Excellency Ambassador Mansour Abul Hol, Ambassador of the UAE to the UK, and also a special thank you to the Ambassador of Kuwait for his special remarks, and also his esteemed colleagues, who I know are very keen to share their thoughts with the press afterwards. <laughs> no, I see raised eyebrows. Thank you all very much for an engaging discussion. I saw one over there, but he just went round the corner. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, sir. No, that was thank you very much. Really well, Thank you very much. Really, really well, thank you very much. Thank you very much. It was excellent. Thank you.